but I was like yeah, so yeah. excited. I'm like, I'm officially and legally her mom. Like my name is going on her birth certificate now. Mm. And like, I was just, yeah, I was so excited. <laughs> so, mm. Hey, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney, and I'm honored to share with you our very first story episode of season five with parent Sarah Yates. Like some of us, Sarah met her medically complex daughter, Zariah, for the first time in the NICU. But when Sarah met her daughter in the NICU, she met her as her nurse, unaware that she would become her foster and then adoptive mother in the ensuing months. Their story is truly remarkable and full of love. But before I tell you more about that, there is a new question of the month. It is, what is your go-to self-soothing activity? What brings you comfort when you need it? I'll offer mine as an example and a little bit of getting to know you, I guess. My go-to is a Perry Mason episode, which is an old murder mystery from the 60s. And then when things are really rough, I eat the chocolatiest ice cream I can find right out of the container. So head to the website, therarelifepodcast.com to share your go-to self-soothing activity with us. There is a link in the show notes for that. In this episode, Sarah shares what it was like to hold Zarai for the first time when she was assigned to be her nurse and her husband's response when Sarah felt drawn to foster her. She also tells the story of Zariah's tragic passing away at 20 months due to a trach accident with a home health nurse. And now I pause to offer a trigger warning. During the second half of our conversation, we go into full detail of what it was like for her. So please take a moment to assess if you should listen. If you do decide to proceed with the episode, I just advise you to be gentle with your heart and what it may bring up for you. Some of you have expressed before the need to kind of mentally prepare the day before an episode releases and then to process it the ensuing days after. And I think this episode will definitely be one of those. That being said, this episode is full of love and beauty and so much realness. It's all still very fresh because it occurred only four months ago. Okay, so I actually have just a little bit of a backstory on how this episode came to be. So Sarah was actually supposed to be the NICU nurse in the episode Confessions of a NICU Nurse back in season four. It was going to be her special topic episode, actually. And only a couple hours before we were scheduled to record together, Sarah messaged me and told me that her daughter had gone into cardiac arrest and that they were in the hospital and that she didn't think she would come home. And I'm not going to lie. I was a mess. I think the way it happened where I was like all set to hear this beautiful story of how much she loves her and, and then to know that instead of sharing that story, she was in the hospital knowing that her daughter was going to pass away. That was just, it kind of unglued me. And I just was aching 
for Sarah and the situation she was in. Then fast forward several months, and I received a message from Sarah telling me that she was ready to try again. And I was pleasantly surprised. I did not expect that. And I'm so happy that we can still share her daughter's story and the love that they have for each other. And so here we are. All right, let me introduce you to Sarah and fam, and then we'll dive in. Sarah and her husband, Steve, currently have four foster children. We will refer to them by their initials for privacy. So K is 10 months old. X is 20 months old. J is six years old. And B is seven years old. So she jokes that they basically have two sets of twins. (laughs) They live in Missouri, and Sarah has been a NICU nurse there for almost three years. Sarah is a lover of children and being outside. Let's jump in. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hey. It's so great to chat with you. I'm really excited to hear, you know, more about your story with Sariah. And I think it's a really, a very interesting story and it is full of love. And so I'm really excited to hear more about her and about your journey together. So I would love for you to kind of start with the first time that you met Zariah in the NICU. And I'm assuming that it was different than, you know, maybe the other babies that you've cared for in the NICU. So I would love to hear about that first moment. Oh, yeah. So first time I met her, so she was born at the hospital where I work, and then she was transferred to St. Louis Children's. And then she got sent home with her biological family. But five days later, she had had like a huge ethnic episode and then got readmitted at St. Louis Children's into their NICU again, I guess, since she had just been there. But parents were not visiting. So they decided to try transferring her back to the hospital where I work at to see if maybe parents would visit more. The first time I met her, I was taking care of her and I walked in the room. It kind of took me back at first because we're not used to having like kids that are a little bit older that got transferred in and she was just super fussy. I think she was just lonely. And first I like, wasn't really sure what I was supposed to do. Like she couldn't keep the pacifier in her mouth. Like she couldn't move her arms and people at my hospital aren't familiar with her. I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do with her arms? How can I stretch them? Like, how do I even get clothes on her? Cause her elbows don't bend. So I think the initial moment I was maybe a little bit taken aback by her because she was just so unique and different. But like, as the shift went on, I don't know, like, I feel like over that 12 hour shift, she just like slowly captured my heart. And then I like had a break in my day and she was really fussy and stuff. So I decided I was going to hold her because I had some time. And so I was like holding her in the rocking chair and stuff. And she was just looking up at me with her like big, beautiful blue eyes. Mm. And I was just like, I don't know, like my heart just like completely melted. And from that moment on, I was like completely in love with her. People in the NICU fell in love with her as time went on. But I think at the beginning, people were just kind of trying to figure her out and everything. Mm. So we can sign up to have primaries in the NICU, which means every time we work, we'll take care of them. Mm. Um, I decided not to sign up for her, even though I was like definitely in love after that first day because I had heard how her bio family was like very hard to deal with. And I wasn't Mm. sure if I was quite prepared for that. Um, but, and yeah, but Mm. then like another month went by and parents hadn't visited at all. 
the entire month she had been back, they maybe called once. And so then I was like, oh, like we're actually not really going to have to deal with their parents a whole lot. So I did go ahead and I signed up to primary her at that point. Hmm. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting to hear you talking about, you know, meeting her and these parents that weren't there and involved in her life. I think like, especially like for me and probably people listening who like, that would have been our child, right? Like a lot of our children were in the NICU. And so picturing, I don't know, I I feel for that family and I feel for Zariah, like being in there without that parent involvement and that love. And what a tender moment to picture you holding her and, and her having that connection with someone that would become her mother. So I would love to hear more of the story. So what happened next? So a couple more weeks go by and I start hearing the social worker and people talking about how she's probably going to end up in foster care. So at that point, Mm. I don't know. I just felt like God was tugging on my heart. Like this is something you're supposed to do. Mm. Then of course I had to get my husband on board with it. The social worker at my hospital wasn't like very helpful at first. She wasn't officially in foster care yet. It had gotten delayed. They had kind of told Biomon that like, hey, we're going to take away custody because you haven't been here in six weeks. Like we've had no contact from you really in six weeks. And then of course she shows up that night and then she visited a few more times after that and then stopped coming again. So that delayed her coming in foster care for about a month. But like during this time, it seemed like kind of inevitable. So at first I was like really trying to push my husband. Like, I really think this is something Mm -hmm. we're supposed to do and stuff. And he was kind of like, whoa, like he has no medical background. Mm -hmm. He can't even meet her until like we agree to foster her because of HIPAA and stuff. Like he can't come in the hospital. He can't see her and stuff. So he has to agree to this without ever meeting her. Oh, wow. (laughs) Holy cow. So once she does actually come into foster care, the caseworker contacts us. They're like, oh my gosh, like we did not think we would be able to find anyone to take her for like a long time. Mm -hmm. Just because she had the trach, the G2, just like so much stuff going on. But eventually I was talking to my mom and I kept trying to push Steve into letting us take her. But my mom was like, this is going to be really hard. Like you don't want to push him in to do something he doesn't want to do. Cause like, if this ends up going really bad, like he might end up like resenting you for this. And so I just prayed about it. And I was like, God, if this is really your plan, like, I feel like it is, please change his heart. So I like did not bring it up for a week and a half. And then he mm-hmm. like came to me like out of the blue and was like, yeah, like, I think this is something we should do. And I was like, oh my gosh. Whoa. Wow. I can't even like, I'm picturing like from Steve's point of view, like, because you didn't have any children yet, right? She was your first? No, we had been married for three months when I first met Zariah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So like picturing from his point of view, like that is so, um, I think that's really tender, honestly, to like picture him feeling this connection to her and his heart opening up to her without even meeting her. Like, I just love picturing him in that process and that moment where he came and told you like, yes, let's go do this, this thing that you wanted so badly. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that conversation like? Well, I was like kind of surprised at first, but I was just like, I don't, I was just so excited too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. The caseworker, when she talked to us also said like, we're pretty sure this case is going to go to adoption. So if you're going to take her, 
we want you to be at least a little bit interested in adoption. And again, Steve could not meet her until like we agreed to this. And so I said, mm. we couldn't like fully commit to adopting her yet. Cause Steve had never even met her, yes. but like that we were at least like a little bit open to it. Mm. Wow. Okay. So what was that like then when, can you foster someone while they're still in the hospital? Like were you already yeah. her foster parents while she was there? Yes, we were. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So Steve met her in the NICU then, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was that like? We were walking over to her bed space and he almost like started tearing up immediately. Like from the first moment he met her, he like laid eyes on her. He was like, yes, we're doing this. We're adopting her. She's mm. supposed to be my baby. And it was, uh, it was the sweetest thing. Oh my gosh. That is like seriously the most tender thing. I'm going to start crying. I'm just thinking about that. That is like just so I remember. Okay. So like I remember when I first, you know, quote unquote met you in my Facebook group when you posted a picture when the adoption was official and you told your story and like your story with Steve and you and Zariah has always been so full of just love. And I think that's really amazing. And obviously it doesn't take away, like, I'm sure it was still hard, you know, and giving her, you know, the care she deserves and, and, you know, adjusting and things. But I don't know. I think that's so sweet. I know we talked previously about how having a child with medical complexities, processing that probably was very different than most of us, where a lot of us will experience grief because we expected our children to be healthy or at least did not expect them not to be healthy. And then we have to grieve, you know, what we expected. But obviously for you, that was different. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, there was really like almost no grief involved. It was really just all joy. Like, I don't know, just being her nurse and like, I mean, we had lots of time with her in the NICU and stuff. We knew everything that was going on with her, like medical history before we ever took her home. It was really just, yeah, all joy. Nothing was really surprising. We had kind of prepared ourselves for what we were getting into. And honestly, mm. we both said when we took her home in October, like a few weeks later, we were like, this was actually a little bit easier than we were expecting it to be. Like, I think we had prepared wow. ourselves for like the worst and for it being like really, really hard. And then we we're like, oh, like this is like totally more doable than we thought it was going to be. Like, this is not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like it all just sounds so natural, right? Like just the the process of you holding her and feeling that connection and then finding out that she would be going into the foster care system. And then Steve, like opening up to her before he'd even met her, like it all just seems like it just fell into place. Like, I don't know, like definitely meant to be. I don't know. Yeah, if, you know. It did definitely feel like throughout pretty much the entire time that it was like meant to be everything. <laughs> as far as foster care goes, like everything with our journey, like went basically as smooth as it could have been. Mm. And yeah, I mean, Steve had months to get used to like caring for her and getting used to all of her needs. So by the time we actually took her home, like Steve felt so comfortable with all of her stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. So how long was she home before the adoption was official? Six months. Okay. So it was six months For those of us who have never, you know, have not experienced fostering or adoption, how would you describe just that whole process, like first fostering a child and then to adopt her? What was that like? I mean, now we have other foster kids, and so these cases are not going as smoothly. So now I realize just how it didn't seem always super smooth at the time, but now I'm like, oh, yeah, actually this went 
very smoothly. Mm. Um, so there was one point where her mom briefly said that she did want her back. And I had like complete meltdown. I was like calling my mom, like went in the car for a drive. I was like crying in the car. I was like, oh my gosh. Cause the mom just randomly showed up for a meeting. She'd never been a part of one of these meetings before. And then the caseworker called me afterwards and she was like, I didn't know she was joining the meeting until 15 minutes ahead of time. Like I have to go through all these steps and check all of these boxes. But like in the end, I think this is still what's going to happen. And so that helped calm me down a little bit. But like in that moment, like right mm-hmm. after that meeting, I was just like a complete mess. Oh my gosh. I can't even like, because at this point when she was like, yeah, maybe I do want her back. Like, I'm sure you were completely in that role of mother. And I just imagine like what it would be like if someone like had the legal right to like come take my child away. Like, I'm sure that was pretty terrorizing to. Oh, yeah. Plus, you know, that was a possibility with foster care. Now that we've had more experience Mm -hmm. with foster care, like in my mind, I like know that really like anything could happen and like one of my kids could get moved and that would be super hard. But like. Mm -hmm. I had no experience with it at this point. And like, basically all I had been told is like, yes, we are moving forward with the adoption and everything. And there had been no hiccups in that. And so I think now I would have handled it a lot differently. (laughs) But at that time, I, yeah, I was just a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So when she was officially yours, then was that just like this euphoric ah closure? Like now I can fully like be her mom and not have that concern, like in the back of my head. Steve didn't feel the same way about it. He was like, well, life is exactly the same as it was yesterday. But I was like, so excited. I'm like, I'm officially and legally her mom. Like my name is going on her birth certificate now. Hmm. And like, I was just, yeah, I was so excited. (laughs) So Hmm. That's amazing. I love that. When did you start fostering your other children? Like where in the timeline was that? We took our second placement in December while we were still fostering Zariah. Okay. And she was six and was with us for three months. And Mm. then we got X in April. We got him two days after Zariah was adopted. Oh my gosh. Oh, (laughs) that's so sweet. Yeah. He's a medical baby too. And so like we got called from the agency and they were like, yeah, like you were the first people we thought of for him. So. It was actually, mm-hmm. I got that call while I was at work. So I got off work at like 7.30 and like drove to a neighboring county in the dark and picked him up and brought him oh home. Oh my gosh. Break. Was that like, I'm just picturing like, you know, after you learn like, I don't know, the medical world and especially where you're a nurse, right? Like you have this experience. Do you love like having that experience so you you are more capable of taking these children that might otherwise have a hard time being placed because of their medical issues? Oh yeah. I love it. And Steve loves it too. He, I don't know. He just, Mm. he like loves our medical babies. He just feels like, yeah, we're qualified to take these kids that other people would feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. I mean, like, to be honest, after figuring out like the huge learning curve with Kimball and stuff, I was like, okay, now that we figure this out, like, I mean, like I could take care of other medical babies, you know, like just knowing what kind of learning curve it takes to be, you know, a medical mom or dad it definitely opens your heart to like other children that need that care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can imagine that being really fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think there was a slight learning curve when we took Zariah home because I don't know, just figuring out all the appointments and scheduling everything. And even yeah. though like yeah. I knew, I knew a lot of the doctors from working in the NICU, 
and like I understood everything they were talking about there was nothing anybody had to explain to me a few times doctors would like go on explaining things and then they would like realize partway through that I was a nurse they were like why did <laughs> you stop me like you knew exactly <laughs> like what a shunt was when they were explaining it to me I was like oh well I didn't want to sound like a know-it-all or be rude or anything That's we were funny. on a roll so I just let you keep going <laughs> That is so funny. I feel like that's like the opposite issue. Like that I've run into where it's like, wait, don't just assume I know what you're talking about. Explain it. But you're like the reverse. Like, no, yeah. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. But yeah. And then after we did things with Zariah, like I got ex- to the same pediatrician Zariah had like the very next day mm. and like went into the office. Like he had had, he was 14 months old and really had no medical care his whole life with all of his needs. And so I went wow. to the pediatrician's office, like, I need this, 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 and this. And then he had one more idea of like mm. one more specialist to add to the list. And so we just got it done. He's fantastic. And he just, yeah, put all the orders in for therapy wow. and for all the different specialists he would need and everything. Uh, that is like the best thing. I just like love picturing him being scooped up by you guys, like full of love <laughs> and full of the knowledge to take care of him and like just yeah we're gonna get you into specialists we're gonna take care of you (laughs) and how old is he now how long have you guys had him we've had him like over seven months now Hmm. yeah so we we've had him since april Mm -hmm. okay and that kind of leads me to like i don't know i guess like part two or like the other half of of the story right which is when the accident happened with Zariah that led to her eventual passing away and I'm sure it's like still really raw and it's a difficult topic, especially the way it happened. But I would love for you to share as much as you're comfortable with. But like, could you bring us to that day and the circumstances and what was happening? Uh, Yeah. So I'll start the night before, actually. So the night before yeah. I was working like two shifts in a row, we were just all hanging out in the basement. Like I was holding her, cuddling her and all of that. She had had some seizures a few months beforehand. And then she had had rhinovirus a couple of weeks after that. So that night was like the most she had acted like herself in about a month. And so we were just mm-hmm. like enjoying being with her. She was very smiley. Like she was moving her legs the most she had in like a month. And just, I don't know, we would always play like little games. Like I would hold my hand out and say like, Zariah, get it. And she would like kick my hand and then I would praise her and she would get all excited <laughs> and stuff. Mm. Um. And then it was time to go to bed. And my husband was like, oh, like hands are right to me. I'll put her to bed and you get the other kids for bed. And I was like, no. And I was like holding her tight and giving her hugs. But I I was just kind of joking around. And then I eventually handed her over to him. Uh, he put her to bed. I mean, it was just like any other night. Woke up in the morning to go to work. She was still sleeping. I was running a little bit late. A lot of times I would go say goodbye to her, give her a kiss. But I was running late. So I just headed out the door. My husband was working from home that day. It was about, I think it was around like 11 o'clock. My husband had run to the grocery store. He had done like a Walmart pickup. I was just at work minding my own business. I get a phone call. A lot of times I don't even answer phone calls at work. I answer them a lot more often now that I have kids, but Mm -hmm. I just decided to answer this one. And then it was from EMS and they were saying that Zariah was in cardiac arrest and nothing they were doing was working and that I needed to get home immediately. And they were going to keep doing CPR until I got there. And like, Mm. I don't, it just didn't even feel real. Like 
I had gone into like an empty patient room to answer it. And I like, I was walking out of it and like a couple of my supervisors were out there and I like, I could barely get the words out. Like it just didn't feel real. I was like in complete shock. I think I have a stunned look on my face and like, I barely get out the words and I'm like, Zariah's in cardiac arrest and like, I need to go like right now. And so one of my supervisors is like, oh, no, you're not driving. Like I'm driving you. And so as we were on our way out, I get another phone call from EMS saying that they got a pulse and that they were on their way back to the hospital I work at. So like we were about to leave the parking mm. lot. So they turn around, we go into the ER waiting room. It was probably only a few minutes, but it was like the longest few minutes of my life. I was just yeah. like sobbing. And then I suddenly see like all of these like police cars and ambulances and like fire trucks, like going around the corner. Like I had never seen that many emergency wow. vehicles in a row. There were probably 10 of them or more like racing to the hospital. Like I've never seen this before. And there are like 10 vehicles accompanying my daughter to the hospital. Oh like my, my supervisors were trying to comfort me and be like, okay, they got a pulse. But like with my medical background in my mind, I was like, it would take a miracle for my daughter to come home. I, I knew mm. Like after doing CPR for that long, I'm like, she's probably not recovering for this. And even if she did by some miracle recovery, like she is never going to be the same. Yeah. <sighs> Which was really hard. Cause I'm like, like I knew in that moment I had seen her smile for the last time. Right. So you were, you already were on the way to accept it or not accepting, but like uh, was, that was final close, to you. Nowhere close to accepting it. My heart was nowhere near there, but in my head. Right. And then they pull up. Uh, my husband said there were so many people working on her that like he couldn't go in the ambulance with her. So back up, like my husband had gotten to the house like two minutes before EMS got there. So he mm. yeah, was there when they came to get her and everything. He s- saw them doing CPR on her, which I think he still has PTSD from. And they take her in the ER. Like we're both just like completely sobbing and like crying uncontrollably. While they're like working on her some more, they take us into like another room and like the social worker from the NICU actually, who I know comes down and talks to us and stuff. And they eventually like told us that they had gotten her stabilized and brought us up to the PICU and said like, she'll join you like after the CT scan. And I mean, we're just in like complete shock. Like it just doesn't feel real. Like an hour ago, everything was fine. Oh my gosh. And so just, I mean, like, obviously I know this, but like for those who don't know, like what caused Zari to go into cardiac arrest and eventually pass away? So in the 45 minutes, my husband was gone at the store. We had a home health nurse that was there four to five days a week. She had been working for us for about six months. I thought she was very capable watching her and everything. Um, but I guess her trach had come out when she was moving her from the couch to her bedroom. And uh, she noticed almost right away she wasn't breathing, but I think she just panicked and like didn't do any of the things she was supposed to do. I mean, we got the 911 recording. You can hear the dispatcher like telling her like how to bag her with everything. And it's like, oh, are you seeing chest rise and stuff? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing this right and stuff. But like throughout all of this, she like never checked to make sure her trach was in and her trach was actually going down the front of her neck instead of like in her stoma. So that one like small gesture of like putting the trach back in would have made all the difference, yeah, right? If she would have put the trach back in, like she would have been completely fine. Like within the first couple of oh minutes, like, she would have been fine. 
the worst. And that seriously, is the worst. And she like never started CPR either. Like my husband got home two minutes before EMS, and he is actually the one who started CPR. Like she did not have a viable pulse when mm. my husband got home. So that must have been so traumatizing for him too. Like just picturing him coming home from the store and like in that situation mm. was probably so hard under a statement <laughs> yeah he, he got home and didn't know anything was happening this nurse never called us which i i don't know like if she would have called me like that's the first thing i would have told her to do which is yeah it's just you feel so much guilt knowing that if either of us were here like she would probably be like completely fine to this day mm, yeah yeah I mean, that makes so much sense that in a situation like this that, like, was so preventable and stuff, just that there would be so many, like, why? Like, why didn't I, like, feel like, wait, I should call and see what's going on? Or why didn't I, like, go kiss her goodbye? Or why, you know, I feel like this kind of situation, you could, like, just be eaten alive by the whys or the why nots. And that's probably really complicated your grief. Yeah, I feel like it's getting better, but there was just so much guilt at the beginning. And like, I would talk to people Mm. and stuff and they're like, you can't be there for your kid 24 seven. Like you thought you were leaving your incapable hands. Yeah. Like there are all these little decisions that if you would have made these decisions differently, like this probably wouldn't have happened, but you were acting on information you knew then. And like the decisions Mm. you made at that time were fine based off of like the knowledge you knew, like you didn't know this was going to happen. Like totally. you left her with the nurse that's been watching her for six months and there's been really no issues. So, yeah, I mean, like, I totally agree with those people. I feel like so I'm a carrier for my son's condition. And like, there's definitely a lot of guilt with that, too, because I was like, oh, I gave it to him, even though I didn't know about it and stuff. And it wasn't on purpose. But like, I think sometimes people try to like logic away your guilt. But I think guilt's a hard thing to logic away. I mean, like I get and logically that it wasn't like my fault. But like to feel that it's your fault, I think is, you know, that's really, really sucky. It's yeah. Really hard. Yeah. So going back, I guess, to like, you know, your story. Um, so Zarai was transferred up to the PICU. And then what did you find out about like her CT scan? Uh, I mean, it looks completely awful, which I was already thinking in my head, like there is a very good chance she's brain dead right now. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I do in my head, but when the PICU attending said that, like, I just lost it all over. Like, I finally, like, calmed down for probably about 20 minutes, and then, like, he said that, and I just, like, lost it all over again. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. luckily, with COVID, it really should have only been me and my husband allowed up there, but, like, I had talked to the social worker down there. I was like, I need my mom. So mm-hmm. they let my mom come up. And I, I just like sobbed in my mom's arms. I, it was just, hmm. I don't know. Like my husband is a comfort too, but I don't know. In like a situation like that, I'm just like, <laughs> I need my mom. So Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. No, I feel that so hard. Like it's like in those kind of things, it's like mom, like I'm hurting, like in that kind of pain, I feel yeah. like, or like not knowing what to do. It's just, I think it's very natural to want to go to like that parental figure and be like, fix this or like, help me. Yeah. Even though and I'm like, tell me what to do. Even though I'm like a full-fledged adult, I'm like, yeah, I need my mom. So. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I totally agree with that. I think that must have been a really heartbreaking, but tender thing to have, you know, your, your mom there and, and to 
I don't know, hopefully feel that comfort, at least in a small degree. I'm sure it was inconsolable, but. Mm -hmm. No, I was pretty much crying inconsolably probably 90% of that day. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what ensued in the next, you know, the following days, what kind of decisions Um, did you guys have to make? So. Later on in that night, her pupils did start responding and she was starting to trigger some of the breaths on the ventilator. So they were like, oh, like, we're pretty sure she's not actually brain dead. And so she was actually doing a little bit better the next day, mm-hmm. which was, I think, made things harder because we had just like a little sliver of hope. I knew she was never going to be the same, but I was like, oh, like maybe she will come home. Mm-hmm. But then there were like no major decisions or discussions made that day. Um, but overnight... She had like a continuous EEG on and her brain activity decreased so much overnight that they thought something was wrong with the machine, but there wasn't. And it like never improved. Those lines were almost flat. After that point, she was triggering less breaths on her ventilator and her pupils did stop responding again. So they did determine she did have a little bit of brain function, probably just barely above brain dead, but they had to wait to do like the MRI on Friday. So we decided, okay, we're not making any decisions until Friday. Although there was like mm. a new neurologist at the hospital and I guess he'd come in. I was out. Like I just needed to get out of the hospital because I yeah. knew we weren't even making any decisions until the next day. And like my best friend and I, we just went to a park and like walked around and I cried some and like, I just needed to, I just needed to get out for a little bit. I think I was only gone yeah. for like an hour and a half, but yeah, while I was gone, the neurologist comes in and tells my husband that yeah his recommendation is withdrawing care and so like my my husband wasn't prepared for that at all he was I think it's probably a cultural thing I guess they had had some problems with him in the NICU too he just comes in very matter of fact like this is what I see like these are my findings and based off of this this is my recommendation and so it was like (laughs) like and I guess I think my husband had a little bit more hope than I did we had a little bit of hope the second day but Next day, I think my husband was a little more naive. Like he didn't know all the medical stuff. I didn't want to just like crush the little bit of hope he did have. We hadn't gotten Mm -hmm. the MRI yet. So I was just kind of letting it be. I mean, obviously he knew things were bad. So that was like super hard for him. And I wasn't even there. And so then the PICU attending found out and the social worker and they were like furious. Like they could not believe that had happened. And they were like apologizing like again and again. Cause again, like we had talked about, like nothing is going to be discussed. Like this is not going to be brought up until after the MRI on Friday. And this was Thursday. So, and and you weren't even there, like that they had that conversation without you. Like, and in that way, uh, yeah, (laughs) gosh. So that was, Uh, I felt so bad for him. Yeah. (sighs) And especially where like, he still had that glimmer of hope. Yeah. That probably was extra, like, brutal to hear it that way. Yeah. (sighs) But then, yeah, on Friday, we got the MRI, and we, like, were expecting it to be really bad, but it was, like, even worse than we were expecting it to be. Like, her brain stem was, like, even more significantly damaged than we had thought. Even then, the PICU doctors told us, like, don't make any decisions tonight. Sleep on it. Like, come back in the morning. We're not rushing you. Like, but, like, we kind of we both knew at that point it was very she was very stable but it was like she wasn't on any sedatives like she was not moving at all like she was not responsive even a little bit like her MRI was terrible 
it was obvious she mm. was never going to be coming off a ventilator like and it wasn't because her lungs were crap it was because her brain like she just like could not breathe on her own mm. so yeah that was hard like even though we had discussed it mm-hmm. we had like made that decision and I had cried a little bit but like not uncontrollably but whenever the PICU doctors rounded and like I had to tell them that that was the decision we made I just like I could not even get the words out I just started like bawling and crying I'm, I'm tearing up a little mm. bit right now but I wasn't expecting myself to cry that much because I hadn't cried that much when I had discussed it with my husband but I think telling the people who like actually mm. like going to carry it out like this is the medical team like that was just yeah that was really good yeah I remember because like I was following your story you know while this was happening and I just remember like just imagining what it would be like to be responsible for making that call and even though like you say like it was very clear you know that that would be the right decision like still being the one to decide that when you love her like that I think for lack of a better word like understatement but that'd be so hard yeah to make that the decision decision was even harder than I thought it was going to be and I kept like second guessing myself like Mm -hmm. I think I had a little bit of an advantage because I had worked in the medical field I had seen stuff like this happen before and so I had already thought it through like yes if my kid is in this situation like I'm not just going to prolong like their death like we're going to remove care like we're going to do the right thing and everything but then when it actually like came time for me to do it I was like oh my gosh, like, I know this is the right thing, but like, this is so much harder than I like ever imagined it being. Most people have probably never thought of that before, but like, just, I saw that all the time from working on the NICU. Like, unfortunately, like a few times a year, we have to withdraw care on babies and it's like heartbreaking, but you just something you think about when you work in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like every parent on this earth, like, worst case scenario like that you would have to make that kind of decision and especially where it's like because you love her right yeah. like it's such a such a tangled up mess of like oh I love her so much so I'll let her go but I love her so much so I don't want her to go yeah mm. so what was that like then those last few hours you had with her okay so we had told them on Saturday that we wanted to withdraw care but we had said we're gonna withdraw care on Tuesday so it wasn't like and immediate like yeah we're gonna withdraw care now we're like we want this weekend we just want to like hold her and love on her because we hadn't mm-hmm. held her at that point which I think looking back on it I probably could have but in the NICU we have a policy like kids with art lines cannot be held because it's such a bleeding risk and she had had an art mm-hmm. line so I just assumed I couldn't hold her and nobody had brought it up and so on Saturday I was mm-hmm. like since we made this decision like I want a lot of the lines out except the ones keeping her alive and like I just want to hold her I just want to hold my baby so yeah that first time I like held her Mm. after the accident I was just like I know I kept it together until like the nurses left the room and they like pulled the curtains and stuff and I don't know I just started like oh sorry I'm like tearing up now (laughs) um Mm. yeah I just started like bawling and I don't know I was just like holding her and just like whispering her near here, like, I'm so sorry that mommy wasn't there to protect you. And I'm like, yes. Sorry. I'm like, yeah. Okay. I don't, yeah. In that moment, just holding her, there was just so much guilt. And like, as a parent, like, you feel like it's your job to protect your kids. And like, I don't know. I just felt like I had failed her. Yeah. This is probably so hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. 
I just appreciate your vulnerability in like sharing this where I know it's so it's still so raw and near and dear to your heart. And I would love to just wrap up with one last question. And um, I know it'll be a tough one, but um, I would love to know what would you if what would you love to say to Zariah today? If she were here. Uh, I don't know. It's just so hard going out to her grave. I think I've only been out there like three or four times. The first time I went there was like a month after she had passed. And yeah, I just like sobbed for like 20 mm-hmm. minutes straight. And then I don't know. Then I just started praying. I was like, God, like if like you can let Zariah hear this right now like like I would really appreciate that and then I just started telling her like just how much mommy loves you and misses you and that how I wish she could be be here to me like her future siblings and Uh, that I'll never forget about her ever and and then I like yeah I started talking about which I know like I posted something about this and some people got kind of offended with it on disabilities but I mean like being a Christian and stuff like we believe like that you get like new bodies in heaven and so mm. I was just talking about how I was hoping like she was having lots of fun up there, like running and playing and laughing and doing all of the things she couldn't do here. Yeah. Yeah. That is so beautiful. Well, again, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you were willing to open up about this deeply, deeply personal and painful thing and, also full of love and just so much emotion. So thank you so much for sharing, you know, your journey with Soraya and your love for her with us. You can find adorable photos of Zariah and her parents and answer this month's question on the website. There's a link in the show notes. You can also find adorable photos of them by following Sarah on Instagram. And I'll throw a link in the show notes for that as well. There will also be a link in there for the Facebook group that we mentioned in the episode. It's called Parents of Children with Rare Conditions. Join Sarah and me next week for her special topic episode as we dive into some difficult feelings that she's dealt with towards the home health nurse involved in the accident and her children's birth parents, among other things. Don't miss it. See you then.